The reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed for it to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the Gospel of Christ. Well, very good morning to you folks. Can you hear me? Is that, is that microphone working? I have to make sure it's working because for the last week my wife has been deaf in one ear. So I'm thinking of getting one of those big trumpets that you sort of <laughs> stick out here. <coughs> Can you hear me, dear? Pardon. Well, it's great to be with you, and if you're a visitor here, uh, a very warm welcome to you. My name is Wally Bean. I'm a, a member of this church and have been for, oh, flapping heck, year. must be three months or something, or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> but it's great to be with you. And uh, I popped into the, uh, to see the young people on Thursday, I think it was, and it was great. When I, I mean, I went in with my earplugs, obviously. You have to, when you go into somewhere like that, take my, please, take my advice. Keep your earplugs in just for a while, you'll enjoy it a lot better. But 
where do they get the energy from? Where do they get that? Did we have it? We must have done. However, there we go. Let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. <coughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever dealt with teenagers. Uh, pity you if you have. Uh, but but when, when teenagers, uh, I have found, I've found that when teenagers are, are going wrong somewhere or going wrong about something, you have to use sort of different approaches to get through to them. Sometimes it's necessary uh, to confront them, to be confrontive uh, with them, and uh, to warn them bluntly that what they're doing is wrong and it will end in disaster. You have to confront them sometimes. <coughs> sometimes, though, you can reason with them. Yes, before, I, know, I know what some of you say, it's impossible to reason with teenagers. No, it's not. Where's your faith? You can reason with them sometimes. You can discuss rationally why what they're doing is not good and what will happen if they continue. Both pro approaches uh, are appropriate at different times with, when dealing with uh, youngsters. Well, in one sense, God does that with us. God knows that the best life to live is to live for him following Jesus Christ. And if we don't, our life here uh, won't be as it should be, and eternally our life will be disastrous. And God wants us to know that, and wants us to do something about that. But mostly, we won't listen. We don't want to live for God. In our hearts, we don't. And so at times, God will confront us. He will warn us through some circumstance in life or some event in our lives, whether it's a tragedy or some illness or whatever it is, he will confront us and make us think about that. But sometimes he'll reason with us, sort of intellectually reason with us. He'll get us to think about what life is about, why we've been given life, the purpose of life. Why am I here on this earth? What is it about? And, and, and why it's best for us to follow him in life. For example, the Old Testament wasn't all fire and brimstone. It wasn't all warnings, you know, don't do this or you won't do that. It wasn't. God often reasoned with Israel. In the first chapter of, of Isaiah, God, in a sense, speaks through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And he says, come now, let's reason together. Let, let's think about what you're doing. Though you have sinned against me, I will forgive you. And if you're willing, you'll eat the best of the land. He sort of reasoned with them. He wanted them to think carefully which is the best way to follow him. He wanted them to think. And Jesus does, the, does a little bit the same in the New Testament. Sometimes he warns people very bluntly. And he speaks very bluntly. But he also reasons with people, encouraging them to follow God. And the story you heard from Luke chapter 15 is one of those times. Jesus tells a parable. A parable is a, is a story but with a deeper spiritual meaning. He tells a parable about a man who had two sons and the youngest leaves his father and it's this youngest son that I want to focus on. There's a little bit more at the end but I want to focus on this young son particularly this morning. Now it's obvious in the parable uh, that, that the father represents God. That's absolutely obvious. And the son is us. Every person who is away from God. And there are four movements in this parable. Let me go through them quickly. Firstly, the son's departure from the father. This youngest son was unhappy at home and he wanted his so-called uh, so freedom. He wanted something that would make him happy in life. 
But to leave, he needs money. And so he asks his father for his share of the estate. And in Jewish custom, that would normally happen when his father died. But he wants it now. And so his father divided the property and gave him his share. Now notice the son's attitude. He doesn't ask, he demands. There's no consideration that he's upset in the family. There's no consideration of the upheaval of selling half the estate or dad having to borrow money, let's say. There's no consideration for anything else except himself. And there's no thank you. It, it, it's not seen as a privilege. It's not seen as a gift from loving parents. In fact, there's a tone, when you read it properly, there's a tone of resentment in this young man. There's a tone of arrogance even. It's mine. I'm entitled to it. And so he gets the money and he leaves. And notice verse 13, he goes far away. He goes to a distant country which is far away because he intends doing things that his father wouldn't approve of. And he doesn't want his father to see. It's very up to date really, isn't it? Young people today, not, every, not all young people, but many young people today often leave home, perhaps go to university or go flat in or even go overseas. And some go as far away as possible from their parents to do things that their parents wouldn't approve of. They think it's to be free. They're free of them so they can do what they like. Well, this was this young man. But Jesus wants us to see the deeper picture that the son in this parable is all people. It is you, it is me, walking away from God. God gives us life as this father gave his son life. He also gave his son a great inheritance. God gives us a great inheritance, which is life with him in eternity. But like the son in the parable, we want to live how we want to live, without God. Enjoying what he's given us, but ignoring him in life. And so we too walk away from God, doing what we want to do, and believing that that will make us happy. But ultimately, it doesn't, just as this young man found out. So secondly, we see life away from the father. What's the first thing he did? Verse 13, he squandered all his money on wild living. Now don't picture wild living as just sort of drunkenness and immorality. It includes that. Verse 30, you can see it includes that. But wild living is any life that's not built on God. The word squandered here means wasted. And a life not lived for God is a wasted life. A person may have lots of stuff, they may have a nice home, they may have a good career, they may do many good things in life, and people may think well of them, all of which are good things, nothing wrong with those things. But if God is not involved in that person's life, ultimately, it is a wasted life. The father gave an inheritance to this son. Likewise, God gives us gifts and talents to be used, loving and serving him and serving others for him. But if I use my life and my talents, leaving God out of these things, in the grand picture of things, my life is wasted. It doesn't matter what I do. And that's a very good question to ask ourselves. Am I wasting my life? It's, it's a good question to ask all the way through our lives. Well, then what happened? Verse 14. 
After he'd spent everything, a famine came to the land, and he began to see his need. So he got a job, and he got a job feeding pigs. Don't miss the significance here. To Jews, pigs were unclean. So cleaning pig sties and probably eating pig swill is, the, is, is what, what's intended here, was the pits for this young man. He couldn't go any lower in life. And we're meant to see here what a person is really like without God. We were created to be in a relationship with God. And if we're not in a relationship with God, we are never truly satisfied. I can speak from experience on that. We're never truly satisfied. We're always searching for something more in life. Never totally fulfilled. Well, there's always a sort of satisfaction which is temporary or a novelty as people chase all kinds of stuff in life, but it doesn't last. Getting drunk and sleeping around doesn't satisfy forever. The new house, the new car loses its novelty and we want something better. We want something more. Fitness freaks, health, yoga, health does make us feel good. Being healthy makes us feel good. But that too will ultimately not satisfy. St. Augustine said, The human heart is restless, O God, until it finds its rest in you. That is so true. It doesn't matter what one gets in life. It doesn't matter what one achieves in life. Eventually, there's always something missing. We hear people say often, oh, you know, when they think about things, they say, oh, there must be something more to life. Of course there is. But they always say it. They have lots of things, of course, but there's always something missing. This hole in life which can never be filled. Well, that's God. It's very simple, it's God. This son was at rock bottom, life away from his father, so-called freedom had promised so much, but it didn't deliver. And that's true today. So-called freedom, good times, pleasure, money, travel, promises to bring happiness, but they don't ultimately, they are false promises. It's like drinking seawater. You get thirsty again. They are false promises. I spoke to a woman some time ago. We were in a conversation, and she told me she'd been in this very position. She thought that freedom, doing what she likes, having more money, traveling where she wanted to, more stuff, ignoring God in life, would bring happiness. But she told me that it didn't. And I thank God she did something. She did what this young man did. And that's the third thing his realization and going back to the Father. I love verse 17. I love it. When he came back to his senses. When he came back to his senses. There was no Damascus Road experience. There was no blinding light. There was no choirs of angels. There was no sort of God speaking in the sky. He came to his senses. He started thinking straight. I must be stupid. I must be absolutely stupid. I'm here starving. My father's servants are better off than me. How dumb I am. How stupid. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to tell him I'm sorry, that I've wronged him. I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And I'm going to ask him to take me back as anything. doesn't matter. 
And that's the beginning of coming back to God. Come to your senses. And what Jesus means is, think. Think rationally about God, about life, about eternity. We are on this earth for a very short time. Eternity <coughs> is forever. Logically, what's more important? What's more important logically? A blink of an eyelid in time and eternity. And rationally, what is going to bring real happiness in your life? What's going to bring true fulfillment? Chasing the stuff all your life? Chasing everything that, 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 we, that, that is advertised on television or what's going to make us happy or whatever it is and the, <clears throat> and the anxiety and the stress and the frustration that that brings? What's going to make you happy? Is it going to be that or is it living for God? Who, although you go through difficulties in life and although you go through trials in life, God is always with you. When people let you down, when people betray you, God never will. What's really the best life? Come to your senses. Stop living for you and go back to your father. Tell him you're sorry because you've ignored him in life and ask him to take you back. You don't need a vision from God or a God spoke to me encounter. You don't need that in one sense. Simply come to your senses. But verse 20 is crucial. So this young man got up and went to his father. Coming to God is not just feeling sorry or saying sorry. You have to do something about it. I've known many people in my ministry, and I was one of them myself many years ago, I've known many people who've regretted things that they've done in life, who felt sorry, but they're not with God. Why? Because all they did <coughs> was feel sorry. <coughs> and very soon they forgot about God again and got on with living themselves. They went back to living without God again. They didn't change their lives and now live for God. Feeling remorseful or guilty isn't turning back to God. It's realizing that you have wronged God and ignored him all of your life. And we need to go to God and confess that and then through Christ begin to live for him, change our lives, turning to God. That's what it is. It's nothing less. It's changing your life from what it was before, doing what you wanted to do, to now doing and being and believing and living what God wants us to do. That's turning to God, nothing less. And so fourthly, very quickly, the son goes home. How is this son received? How will God receive somebody who comes to him? Well, look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that say? It says that the father had been looking and waiting and longing for this son every day since he left. He'd been hurting and longing for this son to come home. Let me ask a question. If a son or daughter who is brought up in a loving, caring home, if that son or daughter rebels and leaves their parents and is sort of lost, takes drugs, 
gets drunk, sleeps around, or just wastes their life, who hurts the most? The son or the daughter, or the father and the mother? Humanity suffers because it's away from God, but who hurts more? God does. If I'm walking away from God and wasting my life and will face the consequences of that, who hurts more? God does. He looks, he searches, he hurts, and he waits. And look what happens when he sees his son. This father would have been a traditional Jewish man, very dignified. If, if, if we were in England, he would be a sort of upstanding British gentleman. No, no emotions, no nothing, just does everything right, everything formal, very traditional. That's what this man would have been like. But when he sees his son, dignity, tradition, formality go out of the window. He hitches up his robe, he ties them around his waist, he runs to meet his son, and unceremoniously he throws his arms around him and kissed him. And the Greek actually says, kissed him much. He smothered him with kisses. The dignified behavior has gone. His son has come home. And as a father, I can imagine the tears in the eyes of this father as, a, as, his, as, he, as his son says to him, Father, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. I can imagine the tears. And that said, it's then forgotten by the father. He wants to honour his son for coming home. And so, and so he says to the servants, quick, put on the best robe for him. That, putting on a robe is a sign of importance. Put a ring on his finger. That is a sign of authority. This is my son. Put sandals on his feet. He's no longer a slave anymore. Slaves didn't wear shoes, didn't wear sandals. Uh, he says, put, put sandals on him. He's, a free ma He's free now. He's not a slave anymore. And bring the fatted calf. He's a guest of honour. Let's celebrate a feast. Why? Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they celebrate. And Jesus wants us to see that that is a picture of God, what God is like when a person, any person, returns to him. My dear friends, you must never picture God as stern and unfeeling. That God is there somehow to spoil your life, that he's a killjoy. Yes, God can be stern, just as any good father with difficult children can be and has to be. But just as a good father is loving, happy, joyful, good, kind, compassionate, so is God the Father. Before I became a Christian, if I thought about God, I pictured him as a judge. I pictured him as somebody who wanted to stop me enjoying life. I pictured him as somebody who was all about rules and laws. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this. And if you do do that, then you've had it. But that is not God. God loves his children deeply. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus in the Gospels. He loved people. He healed people. He cared for them. He had compassion for them. 
He gave them his time and energy and love. He gave them himself. That's God. So where are you this morning? Have you ever seen yourself as this son? Have you ever thought of it? Have you ever felt this restlessness? I'm sure you have. Are you perhaps somebody who's always believed in God but never actually come to your father and walked with him? Well, maybe like me many years ago, maybe it's time to come to your senses. The heart is restless, O God, until it finds its rest in you. Let me pray. Oh, love and heavenly Father, we thank you that, um, that you never leave us, that you're always there. We thank you for the gift of life which you've given us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be like this Son. If we stray, we pray that we would come back to our Father always. Help us not to, we pray, Father. There may be some people here this morning who have been going through questions about God, about life. I pray that you would help them to see you, Father, we pray. And we pray, Lord, that all of us would be the same as this son. That we would come and love you and confess what we've done and walk with you again and again and again. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.